Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are two sisters, uh, my friend Krista Mortensen and her sister, my friend Kyra Dunchy. Welcome to the Kira, K-Y-R-A, Kira Dunchy. Welcome to the podcast. Kira, will you say hello for, to our listeners? Hello. <laughs> and Krista, will you say hello? Hello. Thanks for inviting us. Um, we'll probably hear more from Krista in this podcast, but both of these women, as I've been visiting with them, have similar um, things to share with our listeners. We're going to talk about um, LDS parents that are faithful in the church, have done everything they're supposed to do, and still have children that leave the church. And if you are an LDS parent that has somebody who's left the church, um, this podcast will be really helpful for you to just know how to navigate this road, because that can be a really painful experience. Um, Krista Mortensen had an article in the Ensign that came out in the July Ensign of 2020. It's called You Love, He Saves by Krista Rogers Mortensen. Krista, will, in a moment, we'll have her actually read that Ensign article. It's not very long. We'll have it read it word for word for the podcast, and then we'll spend the rest of the podcast talking about the things she shares in that podcast. But by way of introduction, Krista lives in Provo. Kira lives in Bountiful. Krista has five children, including her oldest son who died. Um, so she has six uh, children total. As the article talks about most of her children now, um, her children in their 20s and 30s have left the church, and she, she is walking this road of teaching her children the gospel, but having them exercise their agency, and most of her children step away. So with that introduction, is there anything I've said that's backwards? No. Okay. <laughs> um, will you just start by reading your Ensign article, Krista? Yeah, if you have a copy of it. I do. <laughs> we didn't expect her to have it memorized, so we just handed her a copy. All right. My husband and I raised our children in the gospel. We had family scripture study every morning, family prayer, and weekly family home evening. We attended church, ate dinner together, and went on family vacations. Our children regularly attended the temple to perform baptisms for the dead. They graduated from seminary, and two of them served missions. And then as adults, they started exploring paths and ideas that were different from the things we had taught them. One by one, our children stopped participating in the church until only one of our five children still chose to attend. We shed many tears over our children and wondered if we had failed as parents or if there was something we could have done differently. For a long time, I pleaded with the Lord to change their hearts, and finally the Lord answered my prayers, but not in the way I expected. Instead of simply changing my children's hearts, He showed me that I needed to start by changing my own heart. While parents play an important role in teaching their children, he reminded me that my role isn't to judge or save them, but to love them. Jesus Christ is their Savior and judge. In my determination to save my children, I had spent many hours praying, reading my scriptures, and going to the temple, thinking that if I did all the right things, I would qualify for God's intervention, as if somehow my actions would lead God to override their agency and influence them to believe as I do. My husband and I wanted so badly to save them, but our version of saving looked more like lecturing, nagging, or showing disapproval of their choices, which ultimately led to contention. 
we realized that in our desperation to bring our children back, we were actually driving them away. The more they felt our judgment and disappointment, the more they avoided us. My prayers changed to a plea for my own heart to be changed. I prayed for more love. I also prayed to overcome my feelings of shame and embarrassment that my family didn't look anything like the perfect families my friends displayed on social media with photos of their children's temple marriages or grandchildren's baptisms. As I turned to the Savior for healing, my heart began to soften toward my children. I realized that to love them as He loves them meant that I needed to make changes. Trusting in the Savior's ability to do His work allowed me to focus on loving my children and turning the saving over to the Lord. It didn't mean giving up on trying to help them, but when loving them became the driving force behind my interactions with them, it changed how I interacted. I started seeing them in a different light. I began focusing on their strengths and their talents and began to see what loving, generous, intelligent, and good people they were. I listened more and talked less. I asked questions about their lives and their interests. Instead of judgment, I showed curiosity. I replaced criticism and disappointment with expressions of love, and my children could feel that it was genuine. Home became a safe place where they could feel love and acceptance. They stopped hiding things from me and started being honest and open about what was going on in their lives. We grew closer. Our family is still a work in progress, but my children enjoy coming home and spending time with me now. They feel safe in my presence, and through my love, I hope they can feel God's love for them. I don't know if in this lifetime they will return to the things they were taught as children, but I know that they are in the Savior's hands. Thank you, Krista. I have read that maybe 10 times personally. <laughs> um, it's I've referenced your Ensign article in prior podcasts. That is not a long article, um, but it's a powerful article. We could do a whole podcast about individual paragraphs of that. <laughs> and it is, um, and you're a really good reader. You have a really good voice. Oh, <laughs> if you, you want to change careers and be in radio, you have a really good voice. But on behalf of all of our listeners, thank you for the courage to share your story. Um, and we're going to spend the rest of the podcast talking about this. Will you talk about the word conference talk you gave in February of 2019? that really led to this um, Ensign article? Um, sure. We were, I, we were trying to um, talk about ministering, and I, I gave a talk um, talking about kind of the same idea of love and loving. And, well, and I just told the truth. I got up there and I told about my children. I told about my imperfect family. Um, I... I just put it all out there. I, I have a trans, transgender daughter, Samantha, and I have um, a son who is bisexual. He has a same-sex partner. They're engaged. Um, stuff that I think I had just tried to hide before. And, and I thought, you know what? Everyone in this room has something. And I don't know why sometimes we think the world will come to a halt if we, if people know are about us, you know, and it, it was so um, moving to me that after this talk, I got texts and phone calls and and people saying, thank you so much for talking about these things. They said my um, one girl said my best friend in high school was transgender and nobody ever addresses that. And another girl said my brother is gay. And 
Other people came to me whose children had left the church and it just, it brought us together. It strengthened us. It didn't, nobody made fun of me or shunned me or, you know, it just, the love just grew. And I think the more we are willing to, to share our, our struggles, the safer it becomes for others too. And, and it was a, it was a good experience in that way. It's really brave of you really brave because we do want to project this sort of perfect um, and not sometimes be vulnerable and honest, but it's interesting how we heal each other and help each other when we're vulnerable about our own situation. Tell our listeners just more what happened. Was Did you get requests for the talk and talk about how to talk? And maybe your sister Kira, who I hope I call the right name the whole podcast <laughs> after I started off on the wrong foot there, we'll chime in and share what her thoughts were about your talk. Well, I did have a lot of people say, can I get a copy of your talk? Can I, can I, I have someone I want to share that with. I have someone that might help. And, and my sister Kira here got a copy. And the next thing I know, her stake president is contacting me saying, can I use part of that talk in state conference? And I, I guess it just started to make its way around, which in a way just surprised me because it, doesn't seem that novel to me, the idea of, of letting Christ do the healing and the saving and the judging, and all we have to do is love. It's that simple. Um, but so I'm glad that that message got out there. Um, Can I just say the idea is not novel. The idea is not novel, but hearing a talk like that in church is somewhat novel. We don't hear talks like that all the time. And the Ensign article is just a portion of that talk. So the talk elaborated on some other things and gave some more specific examples of things that we don't often hear uh, from the pulpit. So I remember as I was circulating and sharing this talk with many people um, in my ward and, you know, the different leaders in the ward and friends and all of my children, everyone just loved it. And it was we needed it. We needed this message. And I had several people comment, I wish we could hear a talk like this in general conference. Why? It's so real. It's so real. And there's no pretense. It's laying it all out there. Here's what we've gone through. Here are some of the struggles we've had as parents. And here's this great realization that we've come to we are not the saviors of these children. They have agency. It's a God-given gift that each of us have, re have received, and they're exercising their agency. These are our children. We love them, and that's our only job is to love them. Will you tell, and then we're going to come back to Krista, will you tell a little, a little bit of, this is Kira I'm asking our listeners, um, how many children you have, and, do you have, and your children in their 20s and 30s, and do you have any children that have stepped away? Yes, and we, we have 10 children, and I um, just like Krista, we have a baby that passed away at birth, so we have nine that we've been caring for, um, and we do have my oldest daughter decided that she, she didn't feel comfortable with the church. She didn't feel like she fit in or could make it work, when, and this was happening as a senior in high school. And then when she was in college, um, then she came to the decision that I'm done with the church. Um, just one little thing about that. 
as we tried to do the things that Krista mentioned in this Ensign article, we're trying to keep her, you know, believing what we believe. And we don't want to see her changing from how she's been growing up and accepting the the principles of the gospel and the things we've taught. And so, but we weren't accepting her for her. We weren't accepting that she can believe differently than we believe. And that's okay. And so in our pushing and prodding and lecturing, the, the one time in tears as we were having another discussion about, you know, she was making decisions that we weren't comfortable with. And when she said to us, you love the church more than you love me, it about broke my heart. And that's when I made a commitment and my husband and I talked about it after she left our room. And, and I said, we said, we will never bring up the church to this daughter of ours again, ever, because she sincerely believes that we love the church more than we love her. And if that's the message we're portraying, then that conversation's over because that is not true. So, and then uh, more recently, one of our sons came to us and told us that he no longer felt that the church was true and could not reconcile staying and that in his sincere searching, pondering, praying and trying to find answers and trying to find ways to stay, uh, he just couldn't reconcile it. So, so he has stepped away from the church and, you know, we just see him for the wonderful person that he is and love and support him and totally accept the fact that he, he also does not have to believe just what we believe. We're family. Nothing's changed there. Our love is there. Our support is there. He's the same great guy he's always been. Same with our daughter. She's the same wonderful person she always has been. And, and it's all good. And as our listeners probably know, these are two women that have given decades of church service and are still fully committed and active in the church. They've both served in as young women's presence, Relief Society presence, and many other callings. And so um, I just love their personal journeys as a mom's heart can change and learn and grow um, and learn how to love. Your son that stepped away from the church, is he trying to pull everybody else out of the church, or is he happy that people are in your family or in the church? He's not trying to pull anyone away, and he's he's very respectful. And, you know, he appreciated so much our acceptance of him with his beliefs, and he in turn can accept our beliefs for us. He has no desire to pull anyone away. That's not even on his radar. He simply doesn't believe anymore for, for a variety of reasons. And, you know, for a variety of reasons. And he, he struggled, he, he searched, he pondered, he prayed, and he just couldn't reconcile things any longer. So, but no, he doesn't have any desire to, to change anyone else's faith or to, have them come where he is and step aside. I've reflected on that. And I've wondered, this is a research project for somebody down the road, if parents 
will create that space for the children that have stepped away and and reduce the anger and the tension if they're then more likely to just what you're suggesting, honor other family members that want to stay. And there's this kind of higher law within the family. We're just honoring um, different beliefs without trying to pull everybody to our level, to where we are. And our goal is to keep the family circle together. So I like what you've done. It, let's go back to Krista. You have, I think, one child's in the church or your children that have stepped away. If I'm using, if I'm correct in my numbers, are your, are your children that have stepped away trying to pull the one that's active out of the church or you out of the church? No. And they, they too are respectful. And I think it's because I'm respectful of them. And I think if I had demeaned them for their choices, they would be defensive and attacking, you know, it's, it's human nature, when someone tells us what we're doing is wrong. And um, I mean, I still laugh. I'll, I'll walk in the room. They'll be watching a movie. They'll say, mom, you won't like this movie. You shouldn't watch this. You know, they, they're like protecting me. They know what my standards are still. And they, they are, they're very respectful, you know, and, and they have some big beefs with the church, but they know that they, they don't want to attack my faith and, and they allow me to, practice my religion and they don't mock me for it or, or try to get in heated discussions at all. How do you not take this personally? Cause mom's hearts are pretty tender and they've, you know, you've, you've physically had these children. That's a sacrifice that I don't know anything about, although I've, you know, witnessed my wife in childbirth and just consecrate. I get tender hearted here because I think of what my own wife has done for our kids and she has just completely consecrated her life in every way that I know how for her children, just like you two have and, and other listeners. And, and we kind of have this, you know, this formula that if we do all of these things, then we're going to have these outcomes for our kids. Um, how, do you, how do you just not talk about how you don't feel like a failure, feel like you didn't, you, there must be something wrong you did to cause this, this still must be your fault. You must have done something wrong. You know, I think I just have to look at what we've done. And I think a successful parent is one who has taught and loved their children and nurtured them. And my success as a parent isn't measured by the outcome because of agency. And I just have to think, I, I love these children I'm there for them. I, I, well, and let me tell you, this was really interesting. I went to see a counselor once. I, it was in the middle of all kinds of things. And, and I, I told her about all my different kids and the things going on in their lives. And, and anyway, I finished and I, I was kind of used to people saying, Oh, I'm so sorry. That must be so hard. And, and she, she just said, wow. She said, you have done a great job with these kids. And I, I remember thinking, where are you going with this? And she said, you have loved these kids and taught them to the point that they are free to be who they are. And they're not afraid. They're not hiding things from you. They are, they're forging their paths. They're going to learn about life. And you gave them that freedom. And she said, you've done a great job. And, and I just, I remember walking out of that office just thinking, wow, it, it just felt so good to have someone, you know, recognize that 
And, and I'll tell you another thing too. My youngest called me one day and she said, mom, I need to tell you something and you're going to be disappointed. And I, you know, I just said, okay, and took a deep breath. And she said, mom, I want you to know that I drink alcohol. And I, I said, okay. And, you know, and she said, I, I just drink socially with my friends. Um, but I thought you should know about that. And I said, well, thank you for telling me. And, and, uh, I, I hope you'll drink responsibly. I, I didn't get all upset or anything. We just talked about it. And, after I hung up the phone, I, I thought I should feel really disappointed right now. And I felt elated that she would share that with me, that she wasn't afraid of me. She didn't think I would stop loving her or show huge disappointment in her or shun her if she wasn't living the way I was. And, and so I felt to me that was a success. I just felt really happy inside that that my kids weren't hiding things from me, but they trusted me and felt safe with me. And I'm just going to reread the second to last paragraph. Home became a safe place where they could feel love and acceptance. They stopped hiding things from me and started being honest and open about what was going on in their lives. We grew closer, and I just think that's an important parenting principle because you want to be able to know what road your kids are on so you can walk with them on that road. Yeah. And if your daughter's going to open up to you about socially drinking, you can then understand where she is so you can be her parent and walk with her on that road. You may you don't agree with that road, mm -hmm. but at least if she gets in a tough spot and maybe she does something that's worse than socially drinking and she needs somebody to help her in a moment of difficulty, she's going to call you, Krista. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to be able to be there for her. Isn't those aren't great paydays as parents when our kids will call us when they need us. So I just love what you're sharing in this podcast. Kira, do you have any thoughts as we're going along here? Um, not really on that. Nothing's coming to mind okay. right now on that subject. Um, but I, I want to say something. To me, it seems like the higher the expectations are that we set for our children they start to feel like our love is um, based on their behavior and, and it's almost forcing them to lie and to hide mm -hmm. things because they'll disappoint us. They know they'll disappoint us and, and they don't want to disappoint us. They want us to love them. And, and so that's when people, kids start hiding things because they know we won't understand, we won't listen. And you have to have that relationship of trust I have another, this is just a funny incident that happened, but um, my son, Joel, and his fiance, Mark, flew me out to stay with them um, in Wisconsin. And as I was, Joel told me the next day, he said, as, as we were getting ready for your visit and getting the house ready, he said, Mark came to him and said, do you think we should hide the coffee pot while your mom's here? And Joel said, um, we're two gay men living together. <laughs> He said, do you think my mom is really going to care about that coffee pot? But I think we get so used to hiding things because we don't want to disappoint people. And and so it's it's important that we we hear our children, that we listen to them, that we um, we give them a chance to to earn our trust by. I don't know, by really investing in that relationship and not just 
having a bunch of rules and regulations and um, and and not and letting them have their agency. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's it's really painful, actually, when you see them making these choices and you know where they'll lead or that that certain things they might do in their lives, um, stepping away from the gospel are can be dangerous, but um, it, it's a gift. I just have to think our heavenly parents are the model for us and, and we haven't been forced, you know, we, we can find our way back, but it doesn't mean anything if we're forced. It doesn't, I, I can make my kid come to church and sit next to me there, but if his heart isn't there and he could care less, it, all I've done is made me feel better that my child is in church, but it, it's meaningless to that child. And part of that might be, I'm feeling better that my child's in church because well, we look the part here, we're here. And and what will people say if my child continues to not come to church? Oh, that won't look good. I think there's there's so much of a culture of living up to those appearances. And that can be that can be a real detriment for families because I've seen families where the children are so afraid to ever let on to their parents about what they're really doing or what they're really believing. And, and some of the things they're participating in. And then in some cases, when the parents find out, it is a horrible mess. There's no love. It's anger. It's tears. It's lashing out. And I just don't think that's what the gospel teaches us. I think of the show in England for the first time I've ever thought of this during the podcast, Keeping Up Appearances. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, it's just this English show my wife and I watch. I've watched it in a long time, but I do think of that cultural pressure, Carrie, you're talking about is, um, it's not, con it's not a doctrinal thing. It's kind of a cultural thing. And it's wanting, we just are in these tight, close communities where we want to look our best, project our best. And I think you do a good job of illustrating our kids sense that and we may talk negatively about families that have children not making good choices or others not making good choices and it signals to our own kids that we're not really safe for them to talk to about what's going on in their lives because of the way we talk about other people and i look at christ's ministry and the way he was with everybody and he didn't marginalize anybody and the signaling that he created about you know he's a safe person and I would feel safe around Christ, except maybe in the temple <laughs> when he got a little upset. But I just think that culturally, that's why I really love your Ensign article and what you're both sharing on this podcast, because I think it creates, I think, I think of the lost sheep and the good shepherd knew the lost sheep well enough to know why he left and where to find him or her. And so we've got to have these relationships with people where we can fully understand where they are and be willing to listen to their story. Talk about, you both have the same father, obviously, since you're sisters. He's alive. He is, I understand, a former mission president, patriarch, and just a great member of our church. And talk about your father's response when he learned his grandson, Joel, is with the same-sex partner. Well, Joel um, wanted to come out to my parents, and he brought Mark with him. And they went to my dad's house and um, my mom and dad's house. And and he said, Grandpa, I want you to meet Mark. And my my dad took out his hand and shook Mark's hand and said, nice to meet you, Mark. And then Joel said, Grandpa, Mark's my boyfriend. 
And without hesitation, my dad said, well, then I guess a hug is in order. And he stood up and took Mark in his arms and hugged him. And, and I just, I just love that story that Joel shared that with me. And I, I think so often we're so afraid that if we, um, if we embrace someone, I, I don't know, my, my dad lost nothing from that. He, he didn't lose his faith. He didn't, I, I don't know why sometimes we think if we associate with people and don't correct them and think that what they're doing is wrong, you know, um, and, and our mom's reaction was the same as, you know, she, I think that our parents were so happy to see Joel so happy because he has been very, very happy with Mark. Yeah. And I, it's interesting. Our, our parents are very open-minded, I have to say, very loving and accepting. And I can't think of a single grandchild who couldn't come into their home and, and feel afraid of them. I mean, all of my kids want to go to grandma and grandpa's and they talk to them and they share stuff with them. And, and I feel like they've really set an example. Our, our dad was a professor and we had people from all over the world, all walks of life in our home. And, and our mom was just so, um, accepting of people, I would say. And I'd have my friends over when I was a teenager, you know, and I'd be waiting for them to come with me. We were going to go somewhere and they're all in the living room talking to my mom. And I'd say, come on, let's go. And they, they just wanted to hang out with my mom. <laughs> you know, she made people feel comfortable. And I, I, I really, um, I really love my parents and appreciate what they have done for their grandchildren and how they have, because in every family, wouldn't you say pretty much they're, we've, we've had, they have a lot of grandkids who have gone different paths and none of those kids have been made to feel any different. They, they love them all. They really mm -hmm. do. And they show it and they mean it. It's not a, a front they're putting on. They genuinely and love every one of, of them. Out of all their grandchildren, they have, they have many who have left the church and that doesn't change anything with them regarding their feelings for these grandchildren. Talk to, and you've done this good job of this already, talk to other parents that just have recently had a child leave the church and are pretty brokenhearted about it in two levels. One is they're worried about the next life and this idea of empty chairs and their family's never going to be together. And also just this feeling that I've failed as a parent and I'm feeling, I'm looking in the mirror and thinking I have really failed and there's something wrong with my parenting here. Just what would you say to those parents that are just kind of heartbroken you know, I, I haven't, I don't know why I haven't viewed myself or my husband as having failed as parents when our children have left the church. That just hasn't been our perspective. We just haven't felt that way. But I do know that many, many people feel that way. And this reminds me of one time in a Sunday school class, in the big Sunday school class in, in my ward several years ago, uh, it came up, the question came up, how can we know that we're succeeding as parents? The question was posed and, and the answer came by the, by looking at our children and the choices they're making and where they're at. And, and my hand shot up so fast. And I said, I, we cannot judge our success as a parent by 
the choices that our children are making because they all have agency. And so if we're saying, if we're saying that because they aren't keeping this commandment or they no longer are a practicing member of the church, then I have failed as a parent. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. I have succeeded as a parent if I have a relationship with my child and they know that I love them unconditionally. Then I've succeeded. But their behaviors and choices, that's, those are their behaviors and choices. And so I, don't, I just don't take that personally. And I hope that parents who are just experiencing this and it's fresh and raw and painful can understand that the greatest thing they could ever do for their child is to love that child where that child is right now. Which is exactly what the Savior did. He met people where they were. He went to them and then lifted them up. And um, there's a scripture that really helped me because I was in that state of just feeling like Wow, I what what did we do wrong? You know, you're looking at your neighbor at church, thinking, why did their kids all, you know, stay with the church? And um, but there is a scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants that says it's Christ speaking. I wish I had a reference to it. Um, and he says, all that the Father, none that the Father hath given me will be lost. And and I just had to put my trust in that and say. I've got to let go of this anxiety. I've got to not feel frantic about this. It's in his hands. And we're all here. You know, this is a, a classroom for us. We're all here. We're learning the lessons that we each need to learn. And my path isn't the same as my children's paths. They, they might have different lessons they need to learn, and it might take them, you know, on a, a detour from what another person's path might look like. But I, I just learned to trust and, and to say, you know what, they're in your hands and, and I can let go. I can just love. And, and it's, it's simplified things. It, it helps a lot. And I think sometimes when we are feeling so um, scared about our kids, we're, we're not acting out of love. We're acting out of fear. And, and that really changes things. I, I just think we we're afraid because we're losing control, you know, and they started out as these little babies and we controlled everything in their lives and they, they responded to us. And, and then when they become adults, they need to figure it out themselves. We did. We all had to make our own decisions of what we believed and, and what we wanted to do with our lives. And, and we need to give that opportunity to them as well and put our trust in the Lord. Over the years, I've had several people come to me, some in my ward, some friends from other places who are struggling with their children, and they've wanted advice. They've wanted help because their worlds have just been rocked. And, and I've been able to share my, my feelings and my opinion, which is it, we are created in the image of our heavenly father and mother, and we are like them. And, and when we look at our children and the love we have for them, we would never do anything to ban for eternity, our children for being together and for our family unit to stay intact. Now I share this with these, I try to give peace and solace and comfort to these parents that are just 
scared to death they're going to lose their child for eternity. And so when I'm telling them that, my opinion on this, they they love it. They want to believe it, but they can't because they say that's not what the church teaches us, though. That's not what the church teaches. And so I, all I can say is this is what I believe. This is in my heart. I believe our Savior will make a way. Our, our Heavenly Father and Mother will provide a way that we can all be together as families. And it, recently in our Sunday school class, just actually a few weeks before we stopped meeting during the pandemic, this came up and, and I said, my comment was this very thing that here we are, if we have this much unconditional love and care for our children, I think that comes from our heavenly parents. We're made after they, after them, we're made in their image. We're made of the same spirit that they have. And so I said emphatically my opinion, which was if we think that because our children choose a different path and leave the church, that we will be banned from them for eternity, that is baloney. And the Sunday school teacher said, you heard her, that's baloney. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's my opinion. And I know that there are people who don't agree with that at all. And that say, that is not what our church teaches. Our church teaches that we all have to get there together and we all have to obey these commandments and we all have to check all these boxes or we will not be together forever. So all I can say is that is my understanding and I love it. And, and there's no timeline on it. That's the thing. I, you know, I, I don't know how long it takes to reach a certain point, but just because our kids are where they are right now, that doesn't mean, I, I don't know. We all, we're all progressing. We're all learning. We're all changing. And there's no time limit on that. I love this. I love that segment. Talk to younger parents, maybe particularly moms that are have kids that are teenagers and younger and they're all going to church and they're doing all the things you were doing and they're aware that this is a possibility for their kids um they're doing all the right things what would you say to them um i you would obviously invite them to continue to do the things that you did and that they're doing because that gives them foundational principles um to move forward and hopefully stay in the church but do you have any you don't, and you don't want them to just because their kids may step away from the church, stop teaching about the church, right. you know, and you, cause I think even for your kids that have stepped away, the things you taught them are still foundational to making them good, productive human beings. So uh, just talk to what you'd say, any thoughts you'd say to young parents. I think that one of the main things is that if we are parenting out of fear if if the main motivation we have is that we're so scared that we could lose this child forever, then we need to step back and 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 pray and ask Heavenly Father, please help me to change that over and to parent out of love and to not and to get this fear rooted out of me. Um, but it's kind of a complex thing because you know, we do, we do in the church have church doctrine that talks about the kingdoms and where we're going to end up and, and what types of things we need to do to get to these places we want to be ultimately. But I think, you know, my husband has said 
more than once, he has said, I think when we get to the other side, we're going to be surprised when we find out that the real test was, you know, that Heavenly Father's going to say, how did you treat your son when he told you he was gay? Or how did you treat your daughter when she said, I don't believe any of this. And, and I don't, I don't believe this anymore because I've seen people get hurt by some of these things in the church. And so when your daughter says, so I no longer believe this and I don't want to participate, how are you going to react to that daughter? How are you going to treat her? And, and my husband has just said, I think we might be surprised that heavenly father's saying, boy, a lot of my children have missed the boat. What, what life really was about is can you love and support and cherish these children when they're not on the path, when they're not doing exactly the things you raised them to do? Um, I just think that sometimes we miss the mark. A lot of times we miss the mark and we get confused on what our priorities should be with, with parenting. Um, I love that, what you just said, Kira. <laughs> um, I'm laughing not at what she said, but because I mispronounced her name earlier in the book, <laughs> um, in the book that I've talked about in the podcast called Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Chapter 10 of that book is when a family member leaves the church and that book will be out in September. And, and these women are talking about the very same principles in that book. But one of the things that I've tried to understand is what is the church's doctrine on moving between kingdoms in the next life? And um, this is a statement, the last statement our leaders have said on this. And um, I'll see how quickly I can read that. The brethren, this is the secretary of the first presidency, and it's a footnote in the book in chapter 10, if you want to find the book when it's out. The brethren directed me to say the church has never announced a definitive doctrine upon this point. Some of the brethren have held the view that it is possible in the course of progression to advance from one glory to another, invoking the principle of eternal progression. Others of the brethren have taken the opposite view, but as stated, the church has never announced a definitive doctrine on this point. And so I just think if we own our beautiful doctrine, then we lose fear, we gain love, and we just say, we can do what you two women are teaching. We can just say, our job is to love, our job is to teach fundamental principles, especially in the single digit in the teen years when our biggest role occurs as parents. And then we just, our job is keep the family circle together. But if we really own our doctrine, this doctrine of a pre-earth life, a, a mortal experience here and the after earth life, and we really believe these loving parents that ultimately are the ones that decide who comes back, then we just leave it at their feet like you're doing. And it's sort of relieving, just mm -hmm. like I sense both of you as a lot of us as parents, we know how to love. We don't know how to keep all our kids in the church, but if we just sort of leave that at the Savior's feet and say, we can do the rest of that, then it's sort of liberating. So it's true. Um, also in this chapter, I referenced my brother, and maybe we can talk about his book, Bridges, because I know Kira's I referenced that before we went live. And my brother, David Osser, who is a former mission president, stake president, believing member of the church that has some adult children who have stepped away. In an article published by LDS Living, he gave um, five um, suggestions. Don't preach or lecture. 
listen to and under listen to understand and validate use words that affirm don't use labels accept and love them fully remember agency and the love of our heavenly parents take care of yourself and he goes on to also say he gives this counsel at our house my wife and i still talk about no empty chairs um, but we also talk about having no empty chairs at the dinner table around the pool on the vacation at their life events and in all the chairs from our children's lives. And that's in reference to this idea that we'll worry about empty chairs in the next life. And he's saying, I'm just not going to worry about that. I'm going to leave that at the heavenly parents' feet and just do what you two are teaching, keeping my family circled together. Any more thoughts on that that come to your mind as I was talking? You know, I shared with one of my former bishops after a Sunday school class where we had talked about some of these things, and, I, and this was just my insight. I have uh, my husband's family. My husband's a convert to the church, and he's the only member of the church in his family, with the exception of his cousin who got baptized at maybe within a year or so after he got baptized. He got baptized at 19, and she followed um, and it's been wonderful that he's had this one cousin that's been a member of the church. It's been a fun bond. But I have observed with all of his siblings who are the most wonderful people, some are religious in their own churches, others are not so religious. They are all prayerful, you know, uh, people who respect God and believe in God and believe in Jesus <clears throat> and my observation has been, and this is what I shared with, with my former bishop, among Mormon parents, we have some of some very unhappy and mentally unhealthy parents because they're living in fear that they are going to lose for eternity one or more of their children if those children choose a different path. And I look at these parents who aren't members of our church. And I think in some ways they're doing much more healthy parenting. They don't have these, these burdens and expectations weighing down on them every day as they, you know, as they see their kids making choices, those choices in their minds, they want to parent them and guide them and help them to be safe and to make good choices. But those choices for their children don't mean, don't have eternal consequences like so many Mormon parents have to be concerned about that this has eternal consequences for our family, which is why I think so many parents, they hold so tight, they are so strict sometimes, or they lay down the law, they, they don't respect agency, because if they respect agency, that means we might lose this kid. We've got to force him. We've got to control him. He can't do this. He can't be doing this. Or it's all over for us as a family, as an eternal family. And that's just not the case. You two make a really good team. I bet you have <laughs> some good drives together and some good overnight visits and some good trips together. What a great team you two make. I want to come back because this is always a challenge for me. I know that um, some of the words here you wrote, Krista, in your Ensign article, he showed me that I needed to start by changing my own heart. I find sometimes that's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. When I kind of know intellectually that I need to move to a different space, but I don't quite know how to do that. 
Um, and sometimes there's not just this, like, I'm a sort of, a, if you just show me the four steps I need to do to change my heart and my heart is measuring a four and it needs to go to a nine, <laughs> kind of like, um, a diet, I can <laughs> sort of see the 10 pounds I have to lose. So I have a plan. How do talk to listeners that recognize you're right. I do want to become more like these, you two women, not that, and you don't want to say you're perfect. I want to be able to have the same heart they have, but it's just really hard for me. You what know, you I, say? I think it's one event, one experience, one minute at a time and the way you respond to things and it's practicing. I, I mean, it takes practice to become good at anything. And I think it takes practice to learn to, to not, um, to not be quick to judge and to, to take the time to listen and to, I, you know, I was thinking back to when my kids started not wanting to go to church and I can think of me saying to them, why won't you go to church? I, I didn't want an answer. That was an accusation. It wasn't. And, and I think how different that would have been if I sat down calmly and genuinely, sincerely said, tell me about why you don't want to go to church. Let's talk about this and, and, and not be ready to answer and to counter what they said, but to listen and to find out what, what is it? What, what is painful for you at church? Let, let me in on this. Tell me about it. And, and I just think it takes a lot of practice. Um, when, when my trans daughter, Samantha, was going to have um, gender reassignment surgery, I was living out of the country and I was beside myself with grief. I mean, I, I was losing my son. I'd known this son for 24 years and suddenly I'm going to come home to a daughter. And, and I, I really was, um, I was grieving. I was sad. And then I just had to practice looking at things differently and I remember getting on my computer, I was living in China, and I ordered flowers and had them sent to the hospital. And I thought, I, I have to support this child. It doesn't matter um, what, what I think about this, or if I, I, I don't understand it, I still don't understand it, but I don't have to understand it. That's the blessing of it. I can just love again. I can just love. And I, I remember that being a step. That was a practice. I, I wasn't happy about what was happening, but I thought I need to show love and support. And that's what I chose to do. And, and one step at a time, it becomes genuine. It, you start to, to really feel that love and that compassion and that empathy. And it's not just, um, I don't know, fake it till you make it kind of thing. It becomes very real once you start to to hear from their point of view and to try to put yourself into their shoes without, without the judgment and to realize I can't understand what she feels. I, I just can't it, it, but I can, I can love her and, and let her know that she is perfect to me, you know? So I, I think it takes practice to have your heart change and, and praying for it every day too, in your prayers. I used to, it was a mantra every morning when I would pray, please soften my children's hearts, Heavenly Father, please change their hearts. And, and then I needed to turn that on myself and say, please soften my heart, please open my heart, make it soft so that I, I can see into these kids 
I was just reading in um, in Second Nephi, and it was Isaiah stuff, and a verse just jumped out at me, and it was talking about the Savior, and it said, um, oh, I should have had this on an index card, but it talked about that he doesn't judge with his eyes, and he doesn't judge by the things he hears with his ears. And I thought, wow, what if we could do that? If we looked right past whatever impressions or ideas we had, and we looked into someone's heart, and we didn't judge someone by what we heard about them or even heard them say, but that we went right inside and and our hearts kind of matched up and we were more like the savior when we approach people. We'd be so different and, and people would respond so differently. That makes me think of a, a dear friend of mine was packing up her house to move uh, to Europe with her family for an assignment. And I was helping her pack things up and she had this nice big framed plaque that, that was a quote from Walt Whitman be curious, not judgmental. And as, and, and the glass cracked on that. So she was, she was, you know, packing to leave for a year and a half. And so she was getting rid of a lot of things. So she said, well, that glass cracked, let's throw it away. And I said, I'll take that if, if you don't want it. And so, uh, that sits on my kitchen counter and I just think it's a wonderful thing. If we could be more curious about people and less judgmental and then go to them and ask them, you know, tell me about your tattoo. What does that, what's the meaning of that tattoo for you? Because I have found that and I have children with tattoos. So do I. (laughs) And to me, I, none of my children have, my children who have tattoos have gotten a tattoo without having given it all kinds of thought it means something to them, very deep and meaningful. And, and I think it's, it's so important for us to realize, I want to learn about this person. I'm curious. I want to find out what their thoughts are. And I don't need to judge them. This is, they are who they are. This is their life. This is their unique, genuine experience. I'm just curious about it. Sometimes we can find out fascinating things about people by asking and being open to just want to hear their story. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful segment. I love what you both said. I love that personal example of your your honest mourning of losing your son and realizing what this reassignment surgery meant and Samantha becoming Samantha and that was honest. And I think it's honest to me to show the pain, but that I love what you, I sent flowers. And I just, it's a, to me, it's a beautiful family love story and it's a beautiful family success story. And I just think this wonderful daughter of yours, Samantha, if she were here, she'd probably grab the mic, tell you how much she loves you. And that she is glad you're in her life and that you love her and, and that you have this relationship. And I think it's a great parent success story. Talk about, as a side note, um, Samantha's visiting teacher that was so kind to her. Well, it was actually, um, so Samantha has a, a life partner, Megan. They've been together since high school, since they were 15. And so like 12 or 13 years, they have been together 
kind of soulmates. And um, and Megan is, you know, part of our family. She's just been just like any of my kids. She's part of the family. We love her. Her mother passed away and I was at the viewing and there was Samantha standing there talking to a woman who just looked like she would have been one of my friends, you know, and and I was so curious, how does she know Samantha? And and they're talking and they're laughing and you knew that they knew each other well and that they had a relationship and I was just so curious. So I'm watching this woman talking to my daughter and just so you know, my daughter had blue hair and a nose ring and heavy eyeliner, was wearing a very short skirt um, and she just didn't look like the kind of person that a woman who looks like a middle-aged Mormon mom would be hanging out with. And I was so curious as to how they knew each other. And so uh, anyway, after this woman left, I, I said, I said, Sam, who was that woman talking to you? And she said, oh, that's Megan's visiting teacher. And I just was, it just made me so happy inside that this, this woman took the time to get to know these two. I mean, she wasn't even Sam's visiting teacher, but she oh, she, mm-hmm. she took the time to know Megan and to know the people in Megan's life. And and I just was really impressed with that. I just felt like this is real ministering. This is real, just just love, um, not not having preconceived notions about people, because I know often in in our wards, we you know, you get assigned to minister to someone who doesn't come to church and you you somehow think you're, you're already on the defensive or you're, you think they won't let you approach and, and everyone needs love. Everyone needs friends. And we, we just can't be that way. We just need to accept people, how they are, where they are and, and love them. I put on Instagram today and I'm just going to, um, this quote I just made up, keeping my covenants doesn't include assessing if others are keeping their covenants. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, um, that's very a good, good. quote. That's <laughs> like, wonderful. So I sometimes put quotes like that. I, I'm reading from chapter 10 of my book um, from Elder Uchtdorf. Because love is the great commandment, it ought to be at the center of all everything we do in our family, in our church callings, in our livelihood. Love is the healing bomb that repairs rifts in personal and family relationships. It is the bond that unites families, community, and nations. Love is the power that initiate, initiates friendship, tolerance, civility, and respect. It is the source that overcomes div- divisiveness and hate. Love is the fire that warms our lives with unparalleled joy and divine hope. Love should be our walk and our talk. So I think you are doing in real life in your families what Elder Oakdorf has asked us to do as a church. Um, I'm reading a little bit from chapter 10. Um, Our love for one another doesn't need to be motivated only by a desire for someone to return to church. Harper Don Forsgren, a return missionary, tweeted, quote, we as members of the church need to stop focusing on we need to love people because our love will bring them back to the church and instead focus on we need to love people because they deserve to be loved. I love that tweet from Harper. Love with no agenda is the kind of love that keeps friendships and families together. In my experience, people on the receiving side of this kind of love are most likely to open up if their feelings change or they need help. 
And you're seeing that as moms in your own family because you're safe. Yeah. And they're going to talk to you. And what more do we want? And I'm going to read just a little bit more um, from chapter 10. I'm quoting Elder Gay's talk from, I'm looking at my footnote here so I get the year right. Um, Elder Gay's talk in conference of October 2018. And I'll read from his talk. A few years ago, my older sister passed away. She had a challenging life. She struggled with the gospel, was never really active. Her husband abandoned their marriage and left her with four young children to raise. On the evening of her passing, in a room with her children present, I gave her a blessing to peacefully return home. At that moment, I realized I had too often defined my sister life in terms of her trials and inactivity. As I placed my hands on her head that evening, and I received a severe rebuke from the Spirit, I was made acutely aware of her goodness and allowed to see her as God sees her, not as someone who struggled with the gospel, but as someone who had to deal with difficult issues I did not have. I saw her as a magnificent mother who, despite great obstacles, had refused four beautiful, amazing children. I saw her as a friend to her mother who took time to watch over and be a companion to her after our father passed away. During that final evening with my sister, I believe God was asking me, can't you see that everyone around you is a sacred being? I remember that talk. I love that story. I love that. Why did you love that story? Because I think sometimes it it has a wonderful lesson there about not judging, not judging the appearance, not judging someone if if they are not living this gospel path or or I should say the church path. One thing that I've I've noticed is I've noticed a lot of people who've left the church. I know personally many people who've left the church, and most of them, they have not left the gospel. They are the most loving, kind, caring, compassionate people. The gospel's gone with them, even though they've stepped away from the church. And that story from that you just shared, it's so touching to me because it just makes me realize that every soul is of infinite worth and we we cannot judge someone else we have not walked in their shoes we are on a we are on our journey they are on theirs and it is so easy sometimes to think oh if they would only do this or if they would only change up this and be better at this and be more committed here that's none of our business and thank goodness we know that our heavenly father and our savior our heavenly mother know their children and love their children and see their children for who they are, because we don't always see our own brothers and sisters for who they are. I have an Uchtdorf quote I'd love to Good. share. Elder Uchtdorf said, through the lens of pure love, we see immortal beings of infinite potential and worth and beloved sons and daughters of almighty God. Once we see through that lens, we cannot discount, disregard, or discriminate against anyone. And I, I loved that. It's, it's changing beautiful. our lens. It's changing our focus and, and not assuming we know anything about anyone just by looking at them. And I think Hilder Oakdorf has a particular gift to take fear out. You know, he's talked about fear and using fear in an inappropriate way to cause the desired outcome. And 
And I think he recognizes that religions inherently can bring fear. And there's certainly a reverence towards God and commandment keeping that's important. But if we use, but sometimes fear comes into our culture in an inappropriate way that is not helpful. And I don't think necessarily it's from God. So I'm really like what you shared about that. I'd love to go to your ward council, Kira. Um, and I think you were young women's, women's president at the time. And, and you were talking like probably all ward councils do at times about members of the ward that have stepped away or are stepping away. And often there's this narrative that I certainly am guilty of where I made very simple assumptions about why someone stepped away. And I think it often just kept me emotionally safe and and not fully willing to understand the complexity of that. And just this is you kind of speaking toward councils and helping us do a better job when we talk about people in ward councils or in other situations that have stepped away. Well, in this ward council meeting, our ward council <clears throat> comprised of a bunch of wonderful people were talking about uh, some families, a family that had left, the entire family had left the church, and a few families where part of the family was not participating anymore. And and the discussion was about what do we do here? What, how can we help? But as the discussion progressed, I felt that there was an element of us and them. And so I brought that up and, and mentioned that I think we need to be very careful how we view these brothers and sisters of ours who are the very same wonderful people they were <clears throat> six months ago when they were fully active. Um, these are the same great people. They have had a change of faith. And um, I, it was mentioned in that ward council <clears throat> by one of the priesthood leaders that uh, his opinion on why people leave the church, they either leave because Satan has deceived them. They've flat out been deceived. They don't want to keep the commandments anymore. They're, they just want to go live that lifestyle or, you know, they're just lazy and they don't want to participate. <clears throat> I can't remember what some of the other reasons were, but I felt that I needed to share because my son had just talked to us a couple months before this. And so this was so fresh in my mind. You know, I, I, it had been years and years since my daughter had left the church, but this was a new thing that I was getting used to regarding my son. But at the same time, I had many dear friends over the past several years who have left and some family members who have left and extended family members. And, I, I know them. I know their hearts. I know the struggle they had during this time when they were coming to grips with things that weren't sitting right with them anymore. And they were sincerely trying to figure out ways that they could stay and, 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 you know, put these, there's a lot of reasons. Some of it was LGBTQ issues with the church. Some of it was things they were learning now as an adult about church history. <clears throat> and anyway, for a lot of reasons, people, some of it was a woman's place in the church. Um, or even for some people, it's very hard 
politically to feel like, oh, I guess in the church, we can only have one political view. I thought we could believe whatever we want politically. Anyway, and a lot of people have all a bunch of these <clears throat> come together. But anyway, I was expressing in the Ward Council my observations of how how hurt and saddened these people are as they're struggling to reconcile and to make sense of it all and to and they want to stay they want to stay and you know after sharing my heartfelt feelings about this um one of the members of the ward council said well i disagree and and i just thought well this is, I just shared my heart and that's okay if you say you disagree with my heart, but this is my observation. I'm speaking truth that this is what these people have gone through. So anyway, I just think that because church leaders aren't trained in how to love and help and support those who are leaving, who are, are filled with doubts and and who are are saddened and hurting as their their whole faith is changing how can we better love and support and help them and i just think we there's a lot we can do to learn how to be there for these brothers and sisters i love that segment and will you talk about my brother's book bridges we talked about that before we started recording and your feelings about that book and maybe a suggestion for ward councils to read that book yes i the book bridges <clears throat> that your brother david wrote for me was just the most wonderful thing when i read it and and how i came across that book was my son ryan who who left the church came suggested that we read that book. He said, I think this book would help you and help others to see where I'm coming from, to see what I've experienced and to understand me better with where I am now. And I read that book. I mean, I couldn't put it down because as I read it, I just recognized so many people that I know, and this is their experience as, as the book explains how we, we need to understand that people leave the church for many different reasons. And we can't, you know, to, to make it seem like us and them just because, you know, their beliefs have changed. They're walking away from this thing that they once believed in firmly. And why should that change our relationship with them? Why should we not view them the same way, you know, looking on their heart, seeing this is the same person, this is the same person. And so we just shouldn't, we've just got to inspect ourselves and see where we're at on this. And, and if we're afraid, sometimes we're afraid and we think, oh no, they're, they're bad now. <laughs> They've left the church. They're going to be a bad influence. Um, I just think, oh, I just think we have a long way to go on how we can love our brothers and sisters and family members who leave the church. They're the same wonderful people. We can have the same wonderful relationship that we've always had. That is a change that they're stepping away from the church. Yes, that makes things different, but they're the same people in their heart. We're the same people. Let's just, let's just try to understand and love people. And 
by the way, um, I think I've spent probably at least $650 on copies of the book Bridges because I have given it to so many people. This past Christmas, uh, we gave a copy to each of our children and I gave it to our stake president, our bishop, our Relief Society president, and our elders quorum president. I gave it to several friends. And then I was also promoting it. Now, I, I can't buy one for everyone. <clears throat> so I would promote it. And then I'd hear back, oh, I just ordered it. Or, oh, I just read it. Thank you. This is, this is life-changing for me. Um, anyway, I just can't say enough good about that book. I just think every member of the church needs to read that book. Um, I'm honored to be Dave Oster's brother. He's my older brother. And um, just so everybody knows, the title of this book is Bridges, colon, Ministering to Those Who Question by David B. Osler. And it's available at Amazon, Desert Book. Um, other places, church books are sold. And um really agree with you. It's really helped me. I wish I had read the book before my YSA assignment because it just would have... I go back to the lost sheep, not to say our people that leave are lost, but the principle is the shepherd knew his sheep well enough to know why one left and where to find them. And so I think we've got to listen to their stories to understand where they are and have better tools to not just dismiss with simple answers like they send. Those simple answers we have heard, it's more complex than that. And Elder Uchtdorf has given some wonderful um statements about just sort of honoring their personal agency. Elder Ballard even said we shouldn't preach to them. You know, what should we do for family members that are stepping away? Well, they don't need another lecture. I also like this list from um, Sister Julie de Azevedo Hanks, um, and it's referenced in chapter 10 of this book, but I'll just skip a I'll just mention a couple of these. She has 25 things not to say to a loved one. Um, and I'll just skip, I'll just, um, when you leave the church, you won't be with your deceased child in the celestial kingdom. Um, how could you do that to me? Your children were suffering, your marriage will fall apart. These are all things we might say to somebody leaving. Um, you just need to have more faith and allow work out. Is there a sin you need to be confess? Um, I never thought you would be that kind of an apostate. Your countenance is dark. I hope it doesn't take a horrible tragedy to bring you back to the church. You are never truly converted. You must have never had a spiritual witness. I fear for your eternal salvation. It would have been better for you never to be born than to have the gospel and turn away from it. So we cringe when we hear those things. And I have been guilty of thinking and saying those things. But then she has a list 25 to say to a loved one leaving the church. And you two are teaching this. I love you. I believe we can believe differently and still be close. I trust you to do what is best for you. I want you to be happy. What can I do to support you right now? I respect your integrity and strength. I can't imagine how hard this has been for you. Tell me about your journey and then really listen. Um, the world needs more people like you. If anyone asks me about your decision, I'll talk to him or her to tell him or her to talk to you directly. Your relationship with the church has nothing to do with our relationship. My love for you is constant and unconditional. Even though I believe in the church, I believe when you say you don't know if it's true, 
you're a good parent, son or daughter. You're a good person. I'm not worried about you. Agency is an amazing gift. I am here for you. I didn't read all of those, but um, I just have loved what Julie Hanks has taught in that post that's on her website and referenced in chapter 10 of this book. Um, I want to come back to you, Krista. We've uh, just anything that's come to your mind and since we um, that you'd like to share with our listeners as we're getting closer to wrapping up. Um, I, I just think it's so simple. The gospel is so simple and I think we complicate it. And, and I've, I, I look back at when I was this frantic mom trying to save my children and it's easy to become like, a Pharisee, you know, and, and all you're looking at are the keeping the rules and following these traditions and, and not looking at the bigger picture, the bigger commandment that is to love. And, um, sometimes we do, we need to step back and, and, and study Christ's life. I, I think last year, as we read the new Testament, it just opened up to me to see how he loved people, how he and I think it was to teach us how he reached out to those that were being rejected by the, by the righteous, by the, you know, by the, the church and looked down on. And, and he really was teaching us a lesson about that, you know, and the woman at the well, not only was she a Samaritan, which was a bad thing at that point between the, the Jews and the Samaritans, but she was also a woman, which also made a statement, and she was a woman living in sin. And and he went to her and spoke with her, and I, I just think every action, every part of his ministry can teach us a lesson about how we need to be around other people. And, and it all, I mean, it sounds so so trite and simple, but it does come back to love. That's why that's a great the greatest commandment, you know, that we, we just need to love, love one another. Um, and, and there's no extras added on there. Love, love one another. If you have the same religion or love one another, if you, I don't know, look the same or, or love one another because they might come back to the church someday. Yeah. No, that's not why we love one another. And there's so much to gain from loving people too. We, we gain so much from relationships in this life. And, and I, I loved what you were reading about it. We're not loving people to try to get them back into the church. We're loving people because it changes them and it changes us. And it, it makes life so much better. It's almost like there's a scripture that says, perfect love casteth out fear. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it almost sounds like that, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like we don't have to make up doctrine to to do what you two ladies are inviting us to do. Um, I think sometimes we create a false dichotomy in our mind that to fully love God, we need to stop loving some of his children. And I just look at what you're teaching, what Christ taught, that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else either of you want to share for our listeners? I just was thinking back on um, when I had said that, you know, sometimes younger moms would will come to me and, and ask me advice. It's because I'm an old mom now. And so <laughs> I'm seasoned. And But I, I do want to point out that on this journey of parenting, 
I'm not in any way the same person I was when I started parenting. Yeah. These these experiences that we have help us to grow and stretch and learn. And so it took me years to learn the things I need to learn about all of this. It didn't come naturally. It came through trial and error and, and tears and, and pain and heartache. And um, so, I mean, it's easy for me to give advice to younger parents now, but everyone's got to go through this and experience it for themselves. And I just hope that, that I can help others to, to have more joy in their parenting and less fear and to have a greater appreciation for their own children, what, no matter what those children are choosing to do. And, um, I, I just wanted to, this came to me a couple months ago. I was just thinking about sometimes when we get so worked up about someone who leaves the church and I started thinking about our own article of faith Article of Faith 11, we claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. And I would add, we allow all men, women, teenagers, Gen Xers, uh, baby boomers, millennials, the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. And I think that if we can remember that that's something we believe, that's an article of faith that we believe in, then we, we can relax more and not get so, you know, concerned about others and, and their path and just look at our own path and let's put the, put our eyes more on our, ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I was thinking about parenting and this is kind of funny. I remember when I had two little kids and I was pregnant with my third and I was at a Relief Society homemaking meeting, as they used to call them. And we were having a dinner and, and I was a young mom and I'm, you know, I like these women in the ward. I'm getting to know them. We were fairly new in the ward. And as they're sitting at this table, laughing and eating and visiting, one of them, they got on the subject of when you're the first time your kid says, I hate you, mom. And I, as they're just laughing and sharing, oh yeah, for me, it was when, it was when Joey said this and, and I, I just felt sick in my stomach. Like, this is horrible. This is almost sacrilegious. How can they tell me that one day one of my kids is going to say, I hate you, mom. That's never going to happen to me. <laughs> I will never do anything to my children that would ever make them utter those terrible words to me. And I mean, I was just so black and white and young and naive and idealistic back then. And I remember, I always remembered that because I do remember the first time one of my kids in their frustration and, and, you know, yelled those words, I hate you, mom. And that's not really what they were meaning. They were meaning, I'm so frustrated that you're controlling me right now and you're not letting me do this thing I want to do. But I just think, I look back on that and I think it was, it's funny that that was so, I just thought it was awful. I thought, here are all these wonderful women and I've, I've admired you and now you're admitting that <laughs> your kids have uttered those words to you. That's terrible. But I just think of the journey I've been on from that, those early days of being, you know, just so green as a parent. And then all the, 
the things that come your way, all the, so many times you get blindsided and you get, you just get that pit in your stomach when, when one of your kids has done this or that, or it's all new, it's all new and it's all okay too. But it takes a long time to get to that point where we feel like, you know what, it's all okay. Krista. Well, and just to remember that we are in partnership with our heavenly parents. And and I remember once my daughter was away at school and she was struggling and I I was on my knees praying for her and and I got the answer. These words came into my head. She's my daughter too. And I was able to just relax and think you're as concerned about her as I am and you're not going to let her fall. You're I I I think just trusting that that our heavenly parents love our children probably far more than we are even capable of understanding and and it's going to be okay i know that sounds so simplified to say it's going to be okay but in the end it is and and we can i don't know relax a little bit about this and and it doesn't mean we stop trying to be parents and we say, you know, to our 13 year old, you do whatever you want. That's your agency. There's still, we still need to teach them and, and guide them. But there comes a point when they are adults and, and they're on autopilot. It's their, not autopilot. It's, I, I think of teaching someone to fly and they can't show that they can fly until you let go of that wheel and they get their chance to figure it out. And, and I, I just think we agency is underrated. We don't talk about it as much as we should. We I I was mentioning earlier before this that I've I've heard people, you know, talk to a family where all the kids went on missions, they all married in the temple, they all have their college degrees, you know, these perfect families and and people will say, "Oh, what did you do? How what's your secret?" and they'd say, "Oh, we we read the scriptures every day. We had family home evening. We had family dinner. We went to church together. And, and I'm thinking, so did we, so did we. And, and, uh, it's, it's just, I just lost my whole train of thought. There you go. <laughs> anyway, we, we just need to love cause we don't know what's going to come up. And sometimes I, I see a cute little family in church all sitting so clean and perfect on the pew. And I, inside, I think you guys have no idea what you're what's in for. Coming, what's coming your way. Yeah. But if we can just learn to have that trust and that faith, it doesn't have to shake us when it happens and we can keep those relationships in our family strong. One of the, um, our mom often brought up this scripture when we were growing up, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And I think a lot of times with parenting or with watching those who have left the church, whether they're family members or friends, we are leaning to our own understanding instead of mm -hmm. trusting in the Lord and, and realizing the main thing that um, Krista's Ensign article points out is we are not here to save. We're not the savior. We all have a savior, but we are not that savior. We're here to love. What a great note to end on. Um, 
Kyra Dunshi. Kira. <laughs> See, I started and ended the podcast. <laughs> now, Richard uh, introduced us and he said we are friends. And that's because we became fast friends because we had, we had only needed to be with Richard for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and we felt like friends. So thank you. We are friends. Um, and it, Kyra. Kira. <laughs> <laughs> I have two, I have several weaknesses, listeners. One is getting a name right, because if I get it wrong, I sometimes go back to the wrong one. And reading out loud has always been something I've struggled with. Uh, when we read family scriptures together, I'm the worst at that. So, Kyra. Kira. Kira. See, I'm consistent in my error. <laughs> Kira, sometimes I'll phonetically spell things. And I should have had, I should have written it not the way it's spelled because it looks like Kyra. Kira, so, Dunchy. Yes. And Krista Mortensen. This has been just a wonderful conversation. You two have, have helped me. You've helped our listeners. You've taught the doctrine of Christ. And I think you've healed hearts today with our listeners that are looking for the foundation of doctrinal things that you teach to help turn things over the Savior and lift their hearts. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And I'll just close with um, Krista's article title, which is so simple and so powerful. And please go find it in the July Ensign and share it with others. You love, he saves. Mm -hmm.